Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. As Mark said, I'm Britt. Um, if I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to preach this morning. I will just voice, I have been unwell, so this is why I sound a bit funny. Maybe it's just me. You know, it feels weird in my head. Anyway, I've said it now. That's done. Um, but yeah, we're well and truly into Advent, and so what a great time to jump into a gospel and look at this story. We're actually going to look at the shepherds today. Um, and I think sometimes we dismiss the shepherds because they're the cute ones in this story. You know, in the nativity set, there's like little kids with fake like cotton ball, was it, wool beards, and they tie something around their heads, and we're like, oh, shepherds, you know, and they are sweet. But actually, <laughs> they're really significant in this story, and how they respond to the news of Jesus coming is really powerful for us. And so I want to look at that. I also want to look at the way that it's different to the angelic visitations that come before it. So in Luke's gospel, he packs in a lot in two chapters. Um, And his agenda, Luke has an agenda in the way he writes his gospel, is basically to tell the story of how Jesus creates a new Israel and that his coming has an effect on creation and every person the poor, outcast, and others. He wants to expand God's kingdom. And so that's why the stories begin with the faithful Zechariah and Elizabeth, people who have come down the line um, of Israel and who serve faithfully. I mean, Zechariah still serves in the temple. He's a priest. And then you have Mary, who is in the line of David with Joseph. So there's really um, loyal, faithful men and women. And then you have the shepherds. And what Luke is saying is when Jesus comes, all of these people are one. And so let's look at how Jesus comes to all of them. And the angels turn up for each one of them. He's intentional in doing that because that's what Jesus represents. And so I want to look at that. Um, You may be familiar with some of this story or it may be new to you. The other thing that I think is really important to look at before we jump into the actual passage is the way that Luke, particularly in chapter two, begins by talking about Caesar, which feels a bit rogue because you're like, aren't we here to talk about Jesus? We've just heard about Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and the promise of Jesus, and then he's starting talking about Caesar. What he's doing there is making a point that at that time, Rome was dominating Israel. And there was this peace, this sense of order, apparently called Pax Romana, But actually what it was is basically worldly power, and we actually know this really well. We're not unfamiliar to it. It's this peace which is actually based on fear and the system where those that are in power remain in power and those that are not are continued to be put in their place. It's this weird dysfunctional balance of peace. And so Luke points out that at this time, Caesar is bothering to make a point of how great he is of putting together a census to be like, hey, I just want you to know your place. I can make you pick up and leave where you are and return to your home to write your name down just because I want to. I will keep the peace. I have the power. And so it's really interesting that Luke points that out to begin before he talks about Jesus coming. And Rome did these things because they wanted the people to behold the power of Rome. But Luke is inviting us to behold something else and hinting at something else that's coming. And so let's read. Now, having that in mind, 
chapter 2, 8 to 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. It's quite a revelation that the shepherds get. And biblical scholars often try and debate as to why the shepherds got this version. And some of it really is still just a mystery, which is kind of great because that's good. But I think is really powerful and often is pulled out when you look at this passage is the fact that shepherds were in the lower class of society at the time. They were overlooked. But it's that upside down kingdom. It's the beginning of that. When the shepherds were out in the fields and the angel comes, they're called to behold the angel, not Rome. Rome never behold the shepherds. They dismiss them. And so it's that reminder that Jesus comes for all people. And what a powerful way that the shepherds encounter this coming. And there's something quite different as well also for the encounter they have. If you look at the way that the angels came to Mary and Joseph and even Zechariah and Elizabeth, they have to await something. They're awaiting a birth of a child. Whereas for the shepherds, they don't have to wait. They get to go and find it. It's very different. And I really like, it says in verse 11, the angels say to them, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. A savior has been born to you. This is very personal. When Mary is told about who Jesus will be, it's talking about, Gabriel talks about his kingdom and the way that he will bring this great change and that sense of Messiah and military power and the enormity of what's happening. Even with Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're told about who John will be and that he will pave the way for the Messiah to come. It's a little bit more abstract in a way. But the shepherds get this very personal message. Hey, a saviour's been born for you, to you. You have a place. These shepherds who don't in society. Isn't that significant? It's also interesting if you read through or even aloud the first few chapters of Luke, you constantly hear whenever an angel turns up, fear not, fear not, fear not. (laughs) Fear comes when we behold the worst possibilities. 
And let's be honest, I would say it's probably pretty fair to freak out when an angel turns up. I don't think that's unreasonable. I feel a bit sorry for Zechariah because in the gospel it says he was gripped with fear. And for me, I'm like, Zechariah, mate, you are in the holiest of holies of all places for an angel to turn up, probably in there, right? I mean, is that, maybe it's a bit unfair, I don't know. But Gabriel's standing just on the side of the altar and in this space, Zechariah's like, oh my gosh, although he's probably not been in to the holy of holies many times. And so it's that sense of fear of like, what, what is happening here? Even for Mary, the phrasing's a little bit different. It says she was greatly troubled at his words, at Gabriel's words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So equally afraid, but perhaps not quite as terrified as Zechariah. A little bit more like, okay, I recognize the significance of this. If you think about both of them, they know their history, the Old Testament. I mean, particularly Zechariah. Gabriel has come to tell him that he's going to have a son. And he asks a question that someone else asked in the Old Testament, but I'm old. How's that going to happen? Honestly, I wonder if Gabriel is like, mate, Abraham, come on. Same God. But he's, <laughs> yeah, we would all be afraid if an angel turned up. But there's more than that going on here. With the shepherds, it's an angel, but also if you read in that passage, it says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So not only are the shepherds encountering an angel, they're also encased in the glory of God. That would be frightening. It's that sense of light, of being exposed. And again, Luke, in the way he writes this, this echoes back to the garden when Adam and Eve are afraid to be with God after the fall, they feel exposed to be in the glory of God's presence. They can't do it. And so we all actually have that moment, humanity, when we take on that lie that we need to be in control or that God isn't trustworthy whenever he comes close, we're afraid. So it makes sense that Mary and Zechariah and the shepherds were afraid. Timothy Keller says when he writes about this, the reason they were scared is because it's a particular kind of light. It's the light of the glory of God. Whenever God gets close, he shows you you're not God. There is some, something very confronting about that. We encounter God and it's an incredible moment, but it also is a realization of our humanity, our dependence, perhaps what we're clinging to. But it's not something to walk away from or be afraid of. Like Mary, she remained and listened. Not only do the shepherds have an angel, the glory, but it says in verse 13 that suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God, with the angels praising God. So now they have this huge array, the heavenly hosts. If you look at the wording, it's stratus, which actually has military power, a host. It has like quite a militarily overtone. So what is arriving is the kingdom and the heavenly hosts are representatives of that kingdom. And the shepherds are probably standing there being like, oh my God, the angel would have been enough, you know, but here's the glory. And then the heavenly hosts turn up. But what is happening here? The shepherds are called to behold a new kingdom and a new power. This is what's coming. They are the first to glimpse this. What a privilege. 
upside down kingdom, to use the lowly to see this, to encounter the military power of the kingdom. And again, remember what Luke was talking about at the beginning. Caesar is afraid, as he should be. C.S. Lewis writes that um, Jesus' arrival is almost like he comes in silently behind enemy lines. It's out in the fields that the military power is spoken of and the light comes and the glory and heaven and earth. It's like a little gap opens again and all this emerges in front of the shepherds. And what are they singing? What are they saying, these messengers from heaven? Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. And let's be honest, it's Christmas. We hear this line all the time. We sing it, we know it, and it's easily, you can kind of just walk past it. What is it actually saying, though? Glory to God in the highest heaven. Jesus arriving is the greatest (laughs) glory of God. So they're pointing to that. But equally, this king isn't going to be distant. He doesn't want to just use his power to crush you. Actually, this means peace to you. This has an impact on you, shepherds, and everyone else who is to come and see. In the King James Version, perhaps you've heard it this way, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The word goodwill is a synonym for grace. When we think of peace, sometimes we think more of peace within us, or around us, or just like this general sense of like, okay, it's just gonna be peace and constant prosperity. But actually, biblically speaking, the most important peace in what Luke is getting at here and what the angels are referring to is peace with God. Our definition, our belief, is the only way that we can get peace is if we are in control of our lives. That's what Adam and Eve did. We know better, so we better make the decisions. Again, another way one of the biblical writers write about it, I appreciated this phrasing, it says, we've been fighting God for his job (laughs) since the beginning. So when you worry, you're wrestling with God for what you think should happen next. You're working it out. I've got to be in control. I think I'll feel most at peace if this happens like this and then this and then this. Because we think we know better than him. We're fighting God for his job. Or maybe you're struggling to forgive someone because it hurts so much and you don't think they deserve it. Again, we're fighting God for his job. He is the one that brings justice and he is actually able to help you forgive. There has been an ongoing wrestle ever since the beginning in the garden when Adam and Eve chose their own way. Heaven and earth wrestling, this hostility between humanity and God. But what the heavenly hosts are saying right now is that has stopped because peace has arrived. He has arrived. This is a change that will mark all people. That's why it says in verse 10, Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you, which will cause great joy for all the people. This peace is significant. And so for the shepherds, they have a specific thing that they are invited to do in hearing this message. Again, if you look at a different version of this gospel, it's always fun to read it in multiple versions. In the ESV, it says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, 
I bring you good news of great joy. Behold. Don't fear, behold. What does this word actually mean? Behold is used a number of times. The Greek word is idu, and it actually means to perceive, notice, discern, discover, and turn your attention to. So the shepherds are told, they don't have to await something. They said, go and behold what has come. This peace that has come, go and behold the power of the kingdom that is now at hand. Go and sit and dwell on this and recognize this. Matthew and Luke use this often, this word behold, in their gospels. And it's often in imitation of the Hebrew word, which is hine. And you know, the first time this was used in the Bible was in Genesis 1, 29. And it says there, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the, all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. Creation, the beauty of what God did. Behold, look at what I'm doing. As I did then, I am doing now. Come and behold the beauty, the peace, the power that brings peace to all people. Behold. So the action of the shepherds changes from one of fear to seeking and finding and dwelling. And do you know what's really significant? For the shepherds, in the Old Testament, anyone that came close to God even asked to see his face. The glory of God was too much to bear. They would die. And now the angels are saying, no, go. You can look God in the face. You can stare at him. Behold his glory. Jesus is the ultimate glory, the ultimate form of creation. The shepherds are the first of humanity, apart from Mary and Joseph, to be able to do that. Isn't that incredible? That's what it means. That peace is gone, that you can come right before Jesus and behold the glory of God. I love the response of the shepherds too. They've had this huge, huge moment And they don't stand around and go, okay, so what do you guys think of that? I don't know if it really lines with my view and politically I'm not sure how I sit with their, you know, their seas. No, they're just like, great, let's go find this. Let's go. We've got to find this. They say, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Immediate obedience and response. They go to behold. Timothy Keller says, this is the principle. Behold and you won't be afraid. If you take time to comprehend and behold what is in the gospel message, it will remove the fear that has dominated and darkened your life. To the degree you truly behold, gaze at, grasp, relish, internalize, rejoice in the gospel, to that degree the fears of your life will be undermined. Do we realize the significance of beholding who Jesus is? new creation before us, the kingdom of God arriving, the Prince of Peace. And so the invitation is very simple, and it often is at Christmas. Sometimes we get into autopilot when December arrives, and I said it before, it's like this vortex of Christmas starts to pull you in 
and you kind of reluctantly make your way in and it can quickly just move like week after week. Okay, now I've got to get my presents done, work out my hair, make sure the Christmas pudding's going well. Like we just get into, oh, yeah, yeah, then I'll go to church, it'll be great. But actually, the invitation is not to just let it pass you by, but actually to behold, to recognise the impact of what happens when you behold King and Saviour of the world. The inbreaking of new creation here and now. Not something we have to wait for, but something we can go and find. And what does beholding look like? We are actually wired to do this. Some of you have been, or are parents, and when your child is born and you hold them, there's this moment of literally holding, but also beholding. There is something powerful when you hold those that child. You are changed by that. That is beholding. Or maybe you've had that experience where you've seen a sunrise or something magnificent in creation and you think to yourself, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. I want to just behold it. I want to stay. I want to share this with someone. That's beholding. Or maybe you're someone who works with their hands and you, you've crafted something and it makes you feel like a part of something bigger and it's almost like you almost catch it, but it's not quite in your grasp, but you still behold as you're in that process. It stirs something within you. It awakens something within you that lies there, a reality that you really want to be true. The way that C.S. Lewis talks about it is like a scent from a flower that you haven't seen yet, or lyrics to a song you haven't quite heard yet, but you know. And the thing is, Christmas is that very point in time where that reality becomes real. And that desire, that beholding is Jesus. And the fullness of him is what you capture just in those moments in creation because he created it. Or when you hold your child, or when you partake with something of creation, they're just little glimpses. Imagine coming before the very one who created it. That is to behold. This has broken in. This is what Christmas is meant to remind us of. To come to him, to be at peace in his presence. You know, sometimes I think we're looking for angels. We're wanting that profound moment. I don't know if everyone wants the angels and the glory and the heavenly hosts, but God, if you just speak, I want to have an audible voice. But often we get the shepherds. And the shepherds did a great job. If you read on, they went out and told everyone, and people were so excited about hearing who this Jesus was. And last week, we heard from a bunch of people testimonies of encounters with God. If you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to go back. It's on the podcast. But what I want to share is what it looks like, or just remind you of, is what it looks like to behold now. How do we do that? Because God is still revealing himself. Catherine shared on the testimony, uh, well, gave testimony last week, and she talked about it in a particular way. She said she started attending Tuesday night prayer, which is a very standard thing to do. But actually, have you ever thought about it as a form of beholding? You're placing yourself with others to just come before God and look at who Jesus is. And she said, after attending Tuesday night prayer, 
Nothing super spectacular happened. There was no angelic visitations that I'm aware of. Nothing like that, but she said, as I left, I could feel God healing my heart. I completely underestimated how the Holy Spirit works. Healing my heart by just being in his presence. She's like, I'm amazed we have such a powerful God. That is beholding. She goes on to say that she started using the prayer room. Again, a very simple way to behold. Put yourself in God's presence. Come before Jesus and just sit with him. Pay attention to him. She said one week she was waking up anxious, but after attending the prayer room, the next day she woke up with an almighty sense of peace that could have only come from God and a massive hunger to read his word so she could know the one who she worshipped. This is what happens when you behold, we are changed. There wasn't anything else spectacular in that moment, but she was gifted with peace, the Prince of Peace. And she talked about a moment in worship right here in this room where she saw God as king, that glory, that majesty of all of who he is. And she was in awe. And she said, I didn't want to leave his presence. She'd come before him and behold, beheld who he was. This is what it looks like to pay attention to Jesus, to behold him as the shepherds did. And I love how Catherine ended her testimony. She said, what I've realized is a lot of my fears I've had are just kind of gone because I think we have just such a powerful God, but he's so personal and he meets you and wants to meet you where you're at. Isn't that beautiful? That is someone who's been marked by spending time beholding who Jesus is. And she's saying it just as the shepherd said it. He's come for you too. So I'm going to invite the band up. And I'm going to get you to stand. And as I said, it's simple. The invitation as we worship is to behold Jesus. This Christmas, what does it look like for you to not just get caught up, but actually to behold who he is in all his greatness, that he has come in power, in beauty, in new creation, and in peace. And then he wants to offer that to you. So why don't we worship and praise him?